Overall from the field, but he was also 50% from three. He's five to ten. I know you're out there. It's okay. Stand back there. <laughs> no, more than likely, you're going to get that number one seed. And so I want Houston to be ranked in number one. Eight. Welcome, welcome into another episode of Let's Rage Cooks presented by the Saxonian family. Let's Rage Cooks, the unofficial Houston postgame show of football and men's basketball. We're coming off yet another victory for number two, Houston. It's interesting off the intro clip, they only said you want the number one seed. There's a really good chance if Houston can take care of business on Sunday against Memphis that they could once again have that number one seed. But this is Thursday night, Let's Rage Cooks. And like I said, the Cougars were in Dallas and they defeated the SMU Mustangs 80 to 65. A lot to get into. A lot of interesting happenings that happened throughout the game, particularly that ending. But joining me as always, Dan, I'm Donut, Chris Garner. How are y'all doing? Doing pretty well. Dealing with allergies and all this stuff in the Houston air. But I'm ready to talk about another win by the Cougs. Yeah, I'm doing good as well, man. Good to see the Cougs go out and dominate. Uh, an inferior team. So let's get right into it. First, for those of you that are joining live or maybe listening to the audio only, we thank you for allowing, taking time out of your days to make us a part of your routine. And we have a few comments from the Houston Round Bar Review live chat on YouTube. And I want to get, this is where we're going to start because it's what happened at the end. But Jack Cox said, a little loose at the end. Coach was all up in their business during the timeouts. Houston had built up as much as a 23-point lead towards the second portion of the second half, towards the latter portions of the second half. And give SMU credit, after the Marcus Sasser, who had a phenomenal game, his homecoming game against the Mustangs in Dallas, after he hit the crossover step-back jumper over SMU, which got Houston's bench excited, Marcus Sasser was up, and you could tell that he was really thrilled after that play. He was Johnny letting SMU know how good of a play it had been. I thought it looked like that could have been a demoralizer play from a standpoint of the Mustangs' perspective, but give them credit. They made a rally. They cut it to within 12 a few times. They got as close as 11, could never get within 10, but they didn't just go away. They made it a game, and it forced Houston to have to have their starting five to the end of the game, which from from a Kelvin Sam perspective, he's not going to be happy with how they close out that that game. Yeah, SMU went on an 11-1 run. The Cougs were loose defensively. They missed free throws. That was an issue. That helps. I mean, they started missing shots on the floor as well as missing free throws. The Mustangs didn't quit. They kept fighting. The Cougs, at the end, the final minute or so, Marcus made four free throws before a while. Marcus was just four for seven from the line. We, ex- we don't expect Reggie Chain to make free throws. He was over two. But Jess Walker bricked his free throws. I mean, he wasn't close on his. So it was just one of those nights again where the team just struggled at the line for much of the game until the end. But, hey, 15-point win. We'll take it and move on to Sunday against Memphis. Yeah, I think um, you got to give credit to Zurich Phelps. I think he's a good program builder player. He played hard, got downhill, and really just would play relentless. And I think Houston kind of left their foot off the gas and wasn't um, 
wasn't some a few defensive laps, and but I mean, to me, it was hard to watch that game. Honestly, man, SMU is just a program rebuilding. You got to put all things in perspective. First year head coach, so all the things that he's battling, but they're just it's hard to watch that game. They're not a good team right now. They're struggling clearly. I mean, they're struggling, and I agree. It was the hard. Biggest, to- the biggest thing with SMU was the they they took really contested shots, especially early on. They allowed Houston to build that twenty three point. I think that's what stood out to me. Sorry, Chris, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no. One of the things that really surprised me was was a sold out. <laughs> you know, I expected yeah. number two team coming to visit to your house, and the first few minutes, I was like. Did six o'clock start? Is it too early for students to get there? I mean, what? Because I was like expecting an amped up crowd, hyped up. Hey, we got a chance to knock off a potential number one ranked team. And the crowd was just not there from the opening tip. And I was like, well, I guess they know what they said. <laughs> Team's not really good this year. And they didn't come to see the, the SMU nor the Cougars. It was a good turn off by the Cougar alums and fans. That was good. But I was disappointed in the overall Mustang crowd. You could hear the Houston Cougars crowd. They started a who's house, who's house chance multiple times throughout the game and even towards the end when uh, the Cougars started shooting late game free throws. They started, they kind of started their own chance to kind of rally the Cougars when SMU had cut it to within 12, which, like you said, Chris, it is a bit shocking, especially when you look at years in the past, which they've had some good crowds to get up for Houston. And like you said, it's a potential number one seed in the NCAA tournament, a perennial number one team overall, associated press polls and coaches polls. And yeah, there were a lot of empty seats at the Moody Coliseum. Yeah. Like Chris said, I think they know where the team is at right now. And I don't think they had any expectation that they were going to win that game. So they didn't stay at home. And they're Dallas fans, me being from Dallas, SMU and Dallas fans is kind of similar to Houston fans, <laughs> honestly. Um, they were not really going to support you when you aren't winning or you aren't good. And so um, I wasn't really surprised, but, man, SMU, they're struggling. In years past, they were a really good team, like from Larry Brown to the coach last year who just retired, and they had players like Kendrick Davis and um, Felton and other players who are playing professionally. But now they just – just bad, man. Just honestly, they're just bad, man. So, I mean, it's no surprise to me when if Houston doesn't move up because you beat an SMU team, then um, Memphis is a, a team who isn't as respectable now but based on the season they're having. They're kind of like a semi – the most respectable team that Houston has left on their schedule based on the, the quote-unquote critics, whoever they think they are. But, um, man, SMU, it was hard for me to watch that game, man. Houston – I think Houston's second team could have beat that team. Ooh, <laughs> that's strong, man. I mean, because Zurich Phelps, he played well. That shot selection was poor. Mm-hmm. They're rebuilding. Coach Lanier is, is starting over from almost the bottom. But he's got a good piece there in Zurich Phelps. He does. So, But, you know, that'll be for SMU going forward if they're still in the American Army. They're in another conference going down the line. But Marcus Sasser, three points in the first half, three assists. He got hot in the second half. Jamal Shed, the first half, got assist in the second half. So for 30 minutes, 35 minutes or so, balanced Cougar basketball. Last few minutes, wasn't as crisp, wasn't as sharp. Could have got bored. Could have been like SMU, you know, like Dayon. (laughs) SMU is not good. They're not going to beat us. So let's take the foot off the pedal, which Coach Sampson will not like. Okay. 
he's going to harp on them. He harped on them a lot down the stretch in the last two minutes. But how the team finished. But that's overall 15-point win on the road. Take it and keep moving. Yeah, I think watching that game, I was thinking about Jamal as reminds me of a of a mobile quarterback. He's like, you know, quarterbacks traditionally pass the ball. But when you have that extra element of running, to me, Jamal is like that because not only is he an elite passer, but he can shoot and he has a great ability of picking of identifying what the team needs. So when it's time for him to score, whether it's penetrating, getting inside and scoring any way, he does that. When it's time to just kind of take that step back and facilitate, he does that. And so, I mean, I was just always impressed with his basketball IQ and his how he keeps um, his fingerprint on the pulse of the team and knowing what to do in times and what the team needs. So, I, I again, I was very impressed with him. Uh, Marcus, of course, I was expecting Marcus to have the game that he had last collegiate game in Dallas, his hometown. Home city. I'm sure he had a lot of family and friends there. So, I mean, no really surprises for me watching that game. But I was impressed with um, Jamal and Marcus and Tremont's. He was attacking the glass today. I mean, he he was really really attacking the basketball in the glass today. He had. I think everybody really had a good game. Kind of goes back into me and his conversation we had on our last podcast. Real quickly, for those that might just be joining us here live on the Houston Round Bar Review YouTube channel, this is Let's Rage Goods presented by the Saxonian family. I think something that really stood out about this game for Houston, especially in that first half, and really what kind of led to them building that 23-point lead, it kind of seemed like, well, first, SMU, I mean, give them credit for the first eight minutes of the game. They did a relatively good job of hanging with Houston. It seemed like they kind of gave Houston's, they gave their best punch towards Houston in that first half. Give the Cougars credit. They they stood foot for foot right with the Mustangs. And then I think what really stood out from an offensive perspective for Houston, they kind of struggled to put the ball through the basket at the beginning of the game. But it seemed like they kind of took turns. And Jarris Walker, again, just seems a hundred times more comfortable now than he did early in the season, which obviously you'd expect, but it's, it's encouraging to see any of that second guessing that's kind of hesitancy that we kind of could see in December, November. To me, it's gone. It's completely gone. He looks like he's a hundred percent comfortable. He's decisive. He knows what he's going to do. And he's just, it seems like he's reacting much more. So than than trying to anticipate what the defense are going to do and cut now, even his misses on dunks are starting to look like highlight real potential plays. And he has a good alley-oop that was set up by Jamal Shedd. But I think George Walker, he was pivotal in that first half. He had a stretch where he hit a lot of the points for Houston. And then they took turns. They went down to Jawan Roberts in the post to get a couple of baskets. And then Jamal Shedd had that flurry to end that first half. I think he, he went on a 7-0 run mm-hmm. at some point by himself finished with 11 points heading into the halftime break. And then, of course, to build that 23-point lead, it was Sasser that, that caught fire to open the second half. So it was kind of a, a offense by committee for stretches that helped Houston get that 23-point lead. Yeah, they, they took turns. I mean, it, it was balanced effort for the starters. But Tomorrow didn't shoot well, but he rebounded well. But Jarris got it going. And Jamal went a 7-0 run with a steal, a dunk, a layup, and a three. Then Marcus, like I said, score a lot in the first half. Didn't need to. They were still up big at halftime. Then second half, Marcus got it going. So it was just a balanced scoring effort. The Cougs finished the first half, making nine of the last 11 baskets. They made eight straight to put the game away, really. You know, SMU made a brief little comeback, a pride comeback in the closing moments. 
that 11-1 run, but the game wasn't really in doubt. So I think it was a combination. You know, Cougs didn't play as well down the stretch, like, like Jerry's saying right there, but the Mustangs didn't quit, and the Cougs missed free throws. And, you know, the free throw shooting, 14 with 21 in the second half. They missed 10 overall, 16 for 26 for the game. But Marcus was 8 for 11. He made his last four. At one point, he was 4 for 7. So him and Tremont did well. Combined, they were 14 for 18. The rest of the team was 2 for 8. But you're looking at Javier Francis, 1 for 2. Emmanuel Sharp, he's 1 for 2. So that was a kind of surprise there. But Reggie Cheney, he's not a good free throw shooter. The Cougs will need Jairus Walker to be a more reliable free throw shooter than he was, you know, this over two to, tonight. But it depends on who the guys are going to the line. If it's Marcus, Jamal, Emmanuel, Jamon, I have confidence in them to make free throws. Reggie Taney, no. Javier Francis, no. Jairus Walker needs to be that bridge to make his free throws because he might need to in crunch time at some point. Yeah, for me with Jarius, I agree with everything you said, Andy. I think he definitely is more comfortable, more decisive, isn't second-guessing the offensive end. But I'm just watching him on the defensive end. I think he's still learning how to play Houston Cougar defense. I'm watching times where he's playing yeah. NBA defense, where he ain't helping, he's just looking and reaching. <laughs> he just, and I'm sure um, Coach Sam saying film sessions and during the game, he's going to harp on that and get him – to uh, play how um, Houston and uh, how Coach Sampson wants him to play. But everything you said offensively, I 100% agree with, as well as you, Chris, about the free throw um, shooting with Jairus. But um, Emmanuel, he had a really good show on the night with his defense. Yeah. How he on the his floor. rebounding, his <laughs> offensive rebound. He had three offensive rebounds. Yep, everything. He honestly kind of looked like Ramon Walker in that mm-hmm. sense rebounding how he, just all the the, the quote-unquote dirty work all that play he, he, he's really coming to his own and impacting the game in that way and then when he's making his shots that's like the cherry on top real quickly as more people begin to trickle in of course i'd like to remind everybody that this is let's reach Cooks presented by the saxonian family the unofficial postgame show of houston football and men's basketball of course we also want to say thank you to our other sponsors for today's episode of let's rage Cooks presented with star pizza with multiple locations across the houston area make sure that star pizza is your go-to pizza spot in the city of houston because they're houston's best pizza since 1976 be sure to visit them online at star pizza.net and of course we'd also like to say thank you to h-o-u-n-i-l check out this message from jv or francis and uh, h-o-u-n-i-l hi my name is jv francis and i'm partnering with h-o-u-n-i-l we need the fans to go to h-o-u-n-i-l.com to subscribe to our player credit content supporting cougar basketball helps its players stay among the top teams in the country once again, that's com to subscribe. Thank you, and go Cougs. Chris, I'm going to need you to take over real quick. I, had, I thought I was going to have audio issues, but I guess they, they were adjusted. But what I was going to say, something that pointed out, a comment that, that stood out to me, not to look too far ahead, we'll, we'll kind of circle back and – and focus in on SMU. But James Dobbins, he said, at least the Cougs got to play against some full-court press because it's definitely coming next game. 
at against Memphis, which is going to be Sunday afternoon inside the Fertitta Center, 2 p.m. tip-off on ESPN. That's a great point. That's something that right. the Tigers gave – they gave Houston a lot of issues last season, that full-court pressure that was really at times relentless from the Memphis Tigers, and it really gave Houston problems. Now, of course, a very different team this year for Houston than it was last season, but it is a good observation from James Dobbins. It, it is. is. But Kendrick Davis rolled his ankle in tonight's game against UCF. He hasn't played since the first half. Not sure how serious that injury is. Alex Lomax is a battling injury. I don't think he's played at all tonight. They're still winning over UCF because they're shooting like lights out. I think they're shooting 60%. Memphis is shooting 60% for the game. So they're up only 11 over UCF. So if Kendrick Davis can't go Sunday, that's a big, that's a big loss. You know, that will clearly affect Memphis how they play offensively. You got to tweak some defense as well. So that's an unknown. Because they've been dealing with other injuries as well, correct? Yeah. yeah starting line. So I mean, for them to shoot so well tonight against UCF is a tribute, I think, to the team to the touch. And maybe a little dig at UCF because their defense is not as good as as uh, Coach Dawkins probably would like um, for this game because they got back to big man Michael Doerr to at least be a, take up some space and in, in the paint. But so far, not much of an impact. It's not disrupting members at all tonight. But UCF defense is not Houston's defense. So if Kendra Davis cannot go Sunday, that changes the whole complexion of Sunday's matchup. But it's a game Memphis still needs to win to boost their resume. So they're still going to give it the thing they have on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, uh, back absolutely. to the point of the uh, full-court press, I think it will impact Houston whether Kendrick is playing or not because SMU did a good job and um, Houston struggled with it tonight. So that's a really, really great point. That's one of the, the ways that they got back into the game. Houston just didn't look organized and just kind of looked out of source, throwing the ball into the corner, letting the team trap them. And so that was a really good observation, a good point. And I think Memphis will utilize that because regardless of Kendrick plays or not, they still have good athleticism, good length, and ability to disrupt Houston with that full-court press. Agreed. But one of the basic things, and I was disappointed in the Cougars time and time again, inbound the ball into the corner. You're just asking to be trapped. <laughs> I mean, don't do that. Keep the ball in the middle of the floor against pressure defense. And Memphis will definitely take advantage of that, as any any team would if they opponent doing what you want them to do and inbound the ball into the corner. So you got sideline, baseline, and your two people. That's not a way to beat the press. So I, I'm sure Coach Sampson and staff will work on that tomorrow and Saturday. Quick turnaround for Houston, what I was going to say, just in terms of, again, going back, regardless of whether Kendrick Davis, which absolutely Chris said is a huge development, whether he can play or not, or is ready to play for Sunday's game, but the Tigers are going to get up. That's one of the, the matchups where Memphis, Houston, it doesn't matter who's on the court, even on the gridiron, if we look at it from the football perspective. It always seems like those games end up having a, the intensity there is always sky high when it comes to those matchups. Now, kind of reeling back, focusing on today's game against SMU, uh, one of the other players that really had a standout performance was Jawan Roberts, who, like I said, he had that flurry in the first half where he, he got a couple of his points on for Houston. But again, he's kind of 
starting to become a consistent rebounding presence. He finished with double-digit rebounds again, led Houston with 10. And it, it, it's kind of interesting because it, it seemed like Kelvin Sampson wasn't happy with how he started the game because a few minutes into the game when SMU was up 4 nothing, Sampson put in Reggie Chaney for Roberts. And shortly thereafter, when he got back in the game, it seemed like there was a bit of a change. And Reggie Chaney started the second half for Roberts. Yeah. So I did not receive word of anything about Juan being injured or, or banged up or anything, but no, Reggie started the second half, so it had to be in a message there. And he, Juwan got 10 rebounds, so he played well. But he did have a few moments where Coach Stamps was not happy with his effort and performance, and he put him on the bench. Yeah, I think he was more or less unhappy with the couple of turnovers that he had, especially early in the game. Um, I, I think that's what it was a couple of times where he kind of reached in and bailed out a couple of players with fouls. And so, you know, Coach Sampson is going to hold you to a high standard in regards to defense and turnovers. And offensively, he got to his spot and made some shots. And really, it's a, offensively, it's just more about him getting to his spot and getting the right angle on the post. When he gets in the place where he wants and he gets the right angle, he's and he gets to his left hand, he's almost unstoppable. I know I reeled back, but going back to Memphis and the update with Kendrick Davis, this was Avery Braxton, who's a local TV reporter, looks like, for the ABC affiliate in Memphis. He tweeted out a picture that said Kendrick Davis returned to the bench for Memphis, but he was in a boot on the sidelines in that game against UCF. So just another thing to keep track of heading into Sunday's matchup. But on the topic of Reggie Chaney, I segue back to him. I think, again, something that Kelvin Sampson has said throughout the course of the entire season in regards to Reggie Chaney, he, he's kind of the, the well, and he called him the identity player for this specific Cougars team this season. But it, from a trust factor, whenever Houston needs a spark, or certainly on the defensive side of things, if he's not happy with them, Kelvin Sampson, that's his go-to guy. And we saw he was the first big man. He was the first player overall off the bench for Houston tonight. And he allows Reggie to play through mistakes. Like, well, if it's day one or JBA, they make a mistake. He's pulling them out and putting Reggie in. I, I guess it's because of the trust or whatever whatever it is. He he lets Reggie play through mistakes, whether it's a defensive lapse or whatever the case may be. He allows Reggie to play through mistakes versus other players. He'll pull them out. Like Francis. Francis had two straight bad defensive possessions and gave him five points. And coach, get him out. Reggie, go get him. Whoever it was, go get him. So that's a great point. I think Coach Sampson, maybe because he's the senior leadership or the trust factor or whatever, but Francis cannot make those mistakes like, like Reggie can. And Coach Sampson may not, does not believe Reggie will make those mistakes. He may be over aggressive, but he fronted the post a lot this evening, came up with some steals, and even made some cuts and layups, at, you know, going to the hoop as well. So that's the way he can score. The line is another issue. But Reggie Chaney, he's just like a, Security blanket for Coach Sampson. If he just needs somebody to come in and make a stop, get a rebound, Reggie, go give me that. You got it, Coach. He's one of those, what you need, Coach. Yep. And he can do it every yep. given night. Yeah, like Calvin said in the past, if you ask him to run through a wall, he says he's going to ask him, can I get a running start? Which, uh, again, that goes back to that trust factor that he has in Reggie Chaney. Now, another player that we kind of tucked on at the beginning of Lethbridge Cougs, Jamal Shedd and Ridley. So he showed his scoring Prowers towards the end of the first half, but overall throughout the game, he also showed how 
strong he is as a facilitator is a reason why he's a point guard of this Houston Cougars team. What did you guys think of think of Jamal Shedd's performance in tonight's victory over SMU? Sensational. I mean, he did what was necessary. If his team needed him to score, he did that. If the team needed him to get assists, he did that. He was good defensively at the point of the point of attack. So very good game on both ends all around for Jamal Shedd. Yeah, I agree, man. Jamal Shedd had a spectacular game, just controlling the pace of the game, controlling the offense, control on defense, making plays. I mean, he he's probably going to go down to one of the best point guards that Houston's had, man, for sure. He he, I love everything about Jamal Shedd. I was just watching the game and thinking, what a pro um, scouts and pro um, personnel gonna project him going forward because you just look at other guards who are similar in his size and can do a little bit more offensively as far as being more efficient but create and do like he can like Kendra Davis for example he doesn't get a, a, a lot of um he isn't really sought after in regards to a point guard and but Jamal Shed I would say is probably a better driver and a little stronger more explosive but I just kind of wonder what what's his um how he's going to be projected going to the next level. He's a great college point guard. Like everything that you need, he can do that. I'm just, he, you know what? He kind of reminds me of Todd Lawson. I mean, a, a super quick point guard, athletic, can drive, can shoot, can, I mean, really do everything you need. So I think there, I think he should uh, make the league and be in the league for sure. That's what I was thinking. But, but yeah. not after this, not after this year. <laughs> Come back, finish yeah. out your career. Yeah. Uh, UCF is now within six of Memphis. And we got how a question about how, how good is Memphis? I think six or seven minutes left. Um, mm. How good is Memphis? Well, they're not as good without Kenny Davis. You know, but one of the problems Memphis has had when lost this season is turnovers. So when they get up to 18 and up turnovers, they have problems like, like any team. You know, you, you can't turn the ball over that many times and still win. But this is like a six-point game, and I think the longer it goes, they may miss Kendrick down the stretch to be that closer. So who, who would be that closer if they need a basket in the final moments of the game? We'll, we'll see how it all plays out. But regardless, yeah. if Kendra plays Sunday or not, they still know they need the win Sunday over Houston to improve their chances to get in the tournament. So they're still going to compete, fight hard, scratch claw, all those cliches. They're not going to be, oh, woe is me. Kendrick ain't here. Go ahead, Houston. You got it. The rivalry alone will motivate them to get this win. And then, add on top of it, they need to win, too. And one of the few teams, regardless of conference, can actually match Houston athleticism. So, I mean, regardless of Kendrick plays or not, of course, everything you said, they'll miss him offensively and everything that he does. But up front and just with their length and athleticism, they can match Houston in that aspect for sure. And John J. Williams, he's having a first-team conference season he's been spectacular for Memphis all season long real quickly well I have a, a, a pose a question on the topic of Memphis but uh sticking to it once again I'd like to remind everybody that may just be joining us that this is Let's Rage Kooks presented by the Saxonian family the Saxonian family is the primary sponsor of LRC for the remainder of the regular season and in into the American Athletic Conference postseason tournament Let's Rage Kooks is the unofficial Houston postgame show following each football and men's basketball game on the topic of the Houston Cougars men's basketball 
basketball team were coming off the heels of an 80 to 65 victory over SMU on Thursday night. Houston was led by Marcus Sasser, who had 20 points and four assists. Jamal Shedder, we just talked about, had 13 points and eight assists. Russ Walker had 14 points. Jawan Roberts had eight points, and he led the team with 10 rebounds. Now, with, on the topic of Memphis, and what 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 I was going to say about it, it's still 60 to 54 with seven plus minutes left in the game. But what what's interesting about this, what's interesting about the Memphis game, it's going to be a home game for Houston. I think obviously Kendrick Davis, whether he plays or not, it'll be a difference. But say for, for a moment, in a perfect world that both teams were healthy. I'm just focusing on the Houston perspective side of it. Do you think that Memphis, a home loss to Memphis, would be a, considered a quote-unquote good loss for Houston in the event that were to happen had both teams, if both teams were to be healthy? I'm curious because it brought up, um, Chris, when you were talking about, obviously, Memphis needing the win from a Q1 standpoint for their resume as they try to get into the NCAA tournament. But for Houston's perspective, as they're trying to lock up a number one seed in the NCAA tournament, what's kind of the leeway there? I think it'd be a bad loss. Because it's a home loss, and it'd be the third one, be Houston's third loss this season. You know, even if both teams are healthy and all those things, I think it would be a bad loss. And hmm. because three losses at home, it would just add to the speculation of some folks. Well, they what, what's the problems at home? And yeah. I'm curious to see what because Coach Sampson has touched on this in previous uh, sessions. Who's going to be in the ear of the players? You know, on the road is. It's them. It's the players and the coaching staff and the staff. It's them. But when they get back to Houston tomorrow or tonight, fans, some family, hey, do you guys know if y'all beat Memphis on Sunday, there's a great chance you'll be number one in the, in the polls again? Do you realize that? So that pressure, this outside noise, as Coach Samson refers to it. So, you know, this is a win that Coos need to get Sunday because it's a home game. Memphis' rival, if Kendra doesn't play, all these other things. But bottom line, it's a home game. The Cougs need to win, period. I mean, I don't think it um, – I don't think – what do you say? Would it be a bad loss? I think would it, it be would. be a bad loss if they lost to Memphis at home, even if they were healthy? Yeah, I think it would be just because they don't have any respect for the conference. I mean – that's just simply, simply put, they don't have respect for Memphis or any other team outside of Houston in the conference. I mean, they're the most respectable team on Houston's schedule left, and they got beat twice by Tulane, who doesn't get any respect. And so I think it would be a bad loss. Looking at the comments that are chimed in on the on the live stream on the Houston Rumble Review, Parker Ainsworth, a uh, shout out from Lockdown Cook said, "I don't think UH can lose the home game and be a one seed in the NCAA tournament." And Jerry twenty nine sixty eight said, "No, it's a bad it's bad to lose at home, no matter who you are playing against." And Chris, I think that's a great point that you've brought up, just in terms of Houston. They've already lost two road games in in Temple and Alabama now. Uh, that Alabama was obviously considered a quad one loss. So I think that's why Alabama was. jumped Houston because they beat Houston at home. Oh, no doubt. They have the head to head advantage, no doubt. But what I, in, in terms of looking at it from a resume building standpoint for Houston and the NCAA tournaments, if they were to lose to Memphis, that would be considered a quad two loss because Memphis is currently in the 40s in, when it comes to the net rankings, which again, three losses at home that 
begin to poke holes in yeah. terms of Houston's resume, which would be the biggest question mark, which it is interesting with Houston's win over SMU tonight on the road. They're now 9-0 in visiting crowds this season, which they going back to resume building wins, they, they probably have the most impressive one when they went up to Virginia at the time. They were ranked number two in the nation. They beat the Cavaliers in their home court, but kind of interesting this time of the year it's all about seating it's all about resume building but chris day i'll toss it over to you guys if you have anything else to add before we move on to our next topic well i'm looking at it uh yep because it'd be a home game memphis at 42 that would be a q2 the road game would be a q for the cougs but during the broadcast q1 excuse me during the broadcast the guys mentioned because he didn't tweet it so i guess he said it from his his now bunker ESPN's Joe Lenardi, <laughs> that uh, with Purdue's loss and the Cougs win, the Cougs are now the second number one overall seed behind Alabama. And in that scenario, the Cougs would be playing in Kansas City because Alabama gets the first choice. That'd be Birmingham and Louisville for them. And the Cougs get the second, second choice. So they'd be going to Kansas City instead of Las Vegas or New York, potentially. So anything like that, a home loss at Memphis, this home, really the Cougs, because the conference is down touches on, I've harped on a lot in recent podcasts and appearances. They can't afford to lose in conference, in conference play, regular season. The, the perception of the outside world. Joel Nardi, I think, is the main bracketologist who believes in this team with the eye test as being yeah. number one overall seed. Other folks, they're plugging in Texas. They're plugging in UCLA. They're plugging in Arizona as one seed. And I'm, so I just, okay, what are y'all looking at? <laughs> you know, but they win their, they finish out. What does that be? That'll be uh, 28 and two, something like that, whatever. If they win out? Yeah. Yes, yeah, so, so they have five games. They have five games left. Currently, yeah, twenty-nine and two, heading so, into the American Athletic postseason tournament. They'd have to do that. It'd be like remember Wichita State that one year they were like thirty and one. Mm-hmm. They had to do that to be number be a number one seed. They have to do that because of the, the lack of respect for um, the Missouri Valley Conference. Same thing because the Cougs are not in the Big Twelve. That's they probably have to do to win out to maintain a one seed. It's, it's, it's tough not being in power five. <laughs> Man, it's brutal. I do I want to bring up James. I was just going to bring up James Freeman's comment. I got to be honest. I really don't care. I just need us to be completely healthy going into the tournament. Uh, regardless of the seeding, it's a one, two, three seed. It doesn't matter. Dan, what are you going to say? I don't know, mind. Go ahead. No, what I was just going to say on the topic, it's something that had been mentioned on the broadcast. I think regardless of seating, regardless of what whatever region Houston ends up being, I don't think any team in that region is going to want to have to play Houston, which is something that touched on the broadcast in ter- terms of the physicality that, that Houston plays and brings to the table now. Uh, on the topic of, well, segue now, kind of, give ahead at our next segment on the other side of this break but i do kind of want to focus in on those last few minutes in the second half for houston and and really that rally by smu which from from a human perspective it's much easier to kind of you know dismiss it as it was letting uh, the 
letting your foot off the gas, quote-unquote, from a Houston perspective. But we'll, we'll touch a little bit more on it on the other side of this break. For those of you that are joining us, once again, this is Les Rich Cruz presented by the Saxonian family, the primary sponsor of LRC for the remainder of the regular season and even into the American Athletic Conference postseason tournament. That's Rich Cooks, the unofficial Houston postgame show for football and men's basketball games. Of course, we also like to say thank you to our sponsors in Star Pizza and Star Pizza, Houston's best pizza since 1976. We have multiple locations across the Houston area. Be sure to visit starpizza.net online or visit any one of their locations. Once again, that's starpizza.net. And we'd also like to thank H-O-U-N-I-L and check out this message from J.V. or Francis about H-O-U-N-I-L. Hi, my name is J.V. Francis, and I'm partnering with H-O-U-N-I-L. We need the fans to go to H-O-U-N-I-L.com to subscribe to our player credit content. Supporting Cougar basketball helps its players stay among the top teams in the country. Once again, that's H-O-U-N-I-L.com to subscribe. Thank you, and go Cougs. Once again, that's H-O-U-N-I-L. And for those that may be interested in subscribing, subscriptions start at just $20 a month. Once again, that's H-O-U-N-I-L.com. From our perspective, we also like to plug in. We officially have merch now, which as we share on the screen, Chris, Dayon, I know this is something that we've been kind of speaking into existence for the last few shows really for the past month and two weeks whatever you want to count we officially have merch and we debuted with two lines the let's rage coup the let's rage line where you can see right there you can have available a t-shirt and a hoodie or the there will be rage line once again, that's at bonfire.com slash store slash Let's Rage Coops shop. Once again, that is the official merchandise shop of Let's Rage Coops. And Dayon, Chris, I'll toss it over to you guys if you have anything else you'd like to add. This is something that really we spoke into existence really when conference tournament play started. I want to say one thing. I, I encourage the fans to... Uh... Get your merch now because if you do it now, you can probably have it in time to wear at the conference tournament. Because I think um, the first shipment should be around March 6th or March 7th. So that'd be just in time for you to walk around the Dickies Arena in Fort Worth with some less rage coogs merch on and, and show your support for, for us and the show and, and Houston Cougar Athletics as well as Andy's. You can check out the back as well. Is navigating the you know it's a high tech world, folks. We're saying the te- technology exists for you can hear us talk, see us talking, and he's showing you how the merch looks on the screen as well. So make your purchase, support Les Rage Coog, support the show. Thank you to those who made a uh, purchase so far in these uh, first few days this week of it, and you can get uh, different colors of choices in the shirt and or the hoodie. So kudos to Dayon for. Uh, getting the design done. Kudos to Andy for putting the site together. And as Andy said, you know, all three of us, we we just kind of talked this into existence. But also thanks to the fans who kind of encouraged us, pushed us, and edged us. Where is the merch? When are they going to get some merch? When is it? So we got it for you. 
So go out there and, and get it and uh, continue supporting us as we continue to bring you content the rest of this season. Once again, that's bonfire.com slash store slash Let's Rage Coops shop. As you see on the screen, or you're checking us out on the audio only platforms, wherever you get podcasts, wherever you get your pod slime pajama podcast, that's bonfire.com slash store slash let's dash rage dash coops dash shop. Of course, thank you, like Chris said, for those of you that have already uh, purchased your Let's Rage Kooks gear and are supporting us. We greatly appreciate it. And on the topic of Let's Rage Kooks merch, Chris Dayon had to do a special occasion and kind of change things up with the layouts. There we go. Let's Rage Kooks. You see the themes of the designs on the shirt. They're going to be included on the show so I can be officially authenticated, worn on the show. And, of course, we'd like to say thank you to everyone that supported us in Dayon. Of course, shout out to the people behind the designs as well. Yeah, definitely. Shout out Jermo and uh, Miss Casca Sharp. Appreciate them from Designs. Man, Chris said it perfectly, man. We appreciate all the support. We appreciate you guys for encouraging us to get the merch now. Let's get it out there. We want to see fans in the merch, and we want to see fans raging about the Cougs' um, victories and going forward in the season. And it'd be great if once you get your merch to uh, tag us or tweet it to us, that you're wearing it. I mean, so that'll be outstanding uh, going forward. So we'd appreciate that in the weeks and months ahead. And yeah, Parker, I can rage too, man. I'm I'm old, but I can still, you know, rage a little bit. So yeah. There will be rage. We're raging right now. We're off the heels of Houston's 80 to 65 victory over SMU. And maybe something that kind of judging at some of the video content coming out of Dallas, it doesn't seem like Jamal Shedd was too happy with the ending to this game. So I kind of want to focus in on really the last few minutes. And and like I said, it's it's really easy to kind of sweep it off as hey, you know, Houston just let their foot off the gas and uh, give credit to SMU, give SMU credit for being able to really show mental toughness to not just throw in the towel when they did fall 23. But is there anything that maybe long-term could be cause for concern for Houston and, and just the different things that the Mustangs rang, whether it would, where there was their full-court pressure, whether it was making execution by Houston? No, I don't. I'm, the ending was not good. But the way Coach Sampson is and, and the tactician and the disciplinarian one of his numerous many phrases is he likes to stop a brush fire before it becomes a forest fire okay so the ending of tonight's game will be discussed on the bus ride back tomorrow in the video film sessions in practice all those things because he is not going to let this ending become a trend so that's why I'm not worried about how the game ended today. I'm a little worried because with better competition, if Houston does that, then it, it won't have the same result. And I allow Alabama. Houston had a big lead. Alabama came back and won that game. And so I am a little concerned with that. I think um, SMU did a great job of moving the basketball, especially when Houston hedged the ball screen. One way to beat that is move the basketball and make um, – 
an extra pass cross court and you can get an open look or penetrate the defense because Houston helps and rotates so much. The more you move the ball and start allowing the stick, the more Houston's going to move and it's going to open up driving lanes for you and you can get open shots. So I think teams are going to um, study some of, some of that film and also the way that they was able to disrupt Houston in the full court press. Uh, I, I think it, it kind of disrupts me because I'm sure with Jamal, Coach Sampson, everybody is worried about not specifically that game, but projecting forward against better competition in the tournament. You can't have that. And they've had that in, in different times um, against the competition who isn't as good. But if they do that going forward, it can come back to bite Houston. Agreed. Uh, that's going to be something to keep an eye on. Like you said, Dayon, down the stretch now, as we begin to kind of wrap things up here on today's episode of Let's Rage Cougs, the unofficial postgame show of Houston football and men's basketball, I'd like to talk a little bit more about Marcus Sasser, who, as we know, of course, the Dallas native had his homecoming. Chris, I think I find this interesting that for the last few years before this season, Houston listed Marcus as a Red Oak native, and this year they just called him a Dallas native. I just found I found that interesting, but it, it doesn't really matter. Red Oak is uh, a suburb of Dallas, but regardless, as I digress, he had a strong showing, especially in the second half for Houston. It really seemed, like I said, whenever they built that 23-point lead, Marcus Hazard was a big reason for it when he really got it going offensively, and he had arguably one of the nastiest plays of the game when he hit that step back over SMU and they got the entire bench excited. But what did you guys see from Sasser when he finished with 20 points? Just overall, it seemed like that's it, just, it seems like he's really, really comfortable when he drives. It seems like he's kind of going at his own speed, which from a senior from this is his final year, he's going to play in the next level. It kind of really looks like everything's going at his own speed. I'm curious to get your thoughts. Yeah, I think he's seeing the floor really, really well. He's letting the game come to him. He's aware that he's a, the top priority of the defense. So I, so I think he's reading defenses. He's not only using his guy to give him a billing, but he attacks it. he's attacking the game mentally as well. He, he's becoming a more smarter basketball player, picking and choosing when to get his spots. And like I talked about with Marcus, he also um, has – a great um, ability to have his pulse on the team and doing what they need in any given moments, whether it's driving, whether it's defending, whether it's making plays, whether it's making shots. And so um, very impressed with his constant developing, especially with his basketball IQ. I think he's gotten smarter and is getting smarter and he's reading the defense and he plays like you said, Andy at a, at his own pace and nobody can speed him up and he doesn't force shots. I mean, some of the, the shots that he take and miss, those are shots that he can't make. And so he didn't start the season shooting efficient, but he kind of got out of that slump. And now he's playing the efficient basketball that um, I expected to see from him. So I'm loving everything that I'm seeing from Marcus, especially um, what I saw tonight. And I like the balance between Marcus and Jamal. You know, they kind of took turns. Marcus was more of a facilitator in the first half, and Jamal got points in the first half. Second half, Jamal was a facilitator, and Marcus got buckets in, this, in the second half. So it's a good balance. As long as the two of them are efficient and Jamal, or really both of them, avoid early foul trouble, that, who's going to be in every game the rest of the season because of the balance they have, because the game has slowed down for both of them. Jamal has learned how to, okay, I, I, need, to, I need to score now. My team needs to score. I'm going to get buckets. Marcus can pass 
Tomorrow you want to tomorrow you want to go ahead and score? Fine. I'll I run the offense. I'll just it out to you. Go go get yours. Second half. Marcus, time for you to get yours. All right. I'll do mine. You know, that balance between the two of them is great. I mean, you you heard it in the broadcast. The announcers really consider, and a lot of people nationally really consider Marcus and Jamal one of the top backcourts in the entire country because of they can beat you offensively and defensively. And when you talk about players where the game is slowing down, I think what really makes this and something that we've kind of we kind of might sound like a broken record for how many times we say it. But I think you can add Jarris Walker to that mix now and he's only going to continue to get better. But that's going to be a three headed monster. And we're not even counting Tremont Mark, who he scored. He got into double figures in tonight's game against SMU. We haven't really talked much about him as well. But there's just so many weapons top to bottom and something that we even saw a little bit today, too. Houston can go to Jerome Roberts in the post, too, and they're comfortable with him being able to get points that way. They just have so many weapons that can hurt opposing teams, which something that Jamal said, Jamal Shedd said after their practice on Monday, they still don't feel like they've all played well together at the same time. And that's something that's from a Houston perspective is very excited to see heading into March from an opposing perspective. It's got to be terrifying. <laughs> you don't want to be the team that, that finally plays against Houston when they have all five starters really clicking on all cylinders. And by the way, they have uh, really a guy off the bench that can be a microwave and just kill you from three point range as well in Emmanuel Sharp. Yeah. I mean, this team is balanced and they're getting better offensively. Defensively, they still have a few, lapses but offensively the balance scoring is there for this team jairus walker with the jump hook now in the mid post low post for him he's adding that to his game more consistent with that so the offense is, is getting better tomorrow market his outside shot is not there yet with everybody else in the starting five but tomorrow's a better defender better rebounder lately he's a better player lately so each of them is finding different ways to impact winning one of the overriding things now is make free throws. <laughs> that's that's because that is, as every UH alum knows, fan alum, if you're old enough, that's been a bugaboo for Houston Cougars men's basketball going back 50, 60 years. So I'd hate for this team to miss a chance at a championship at the foul line. Absolutely. It looks like some of our viewers are on Memphis watch. The the Knights are actually leading now 63 to 62 in Memphis with just under two minutes left in that game. So that's going to be something to keep an eye on, obviously, because Memphis is Houston's next opponent on Sunday. Now, real quickly, uh, we did get the postgame footage uh, of Kelvin Sampson after, which I do want to play, I do want to get to. But I guess, what, like I said, one player that we haven't talked on is Tremont Mark. And I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts on him. Didn't necessarily have the best shooting night from the field, but he still managed to get into double figures. And again, something that's become underrated with Tremont Mark is his ability to just become a rebound magnet. I mean, he was right behind Jawan Roberts, who had 10 rebounds. Mark had nine, and eight of those nine rebounds were on the defensive side of the, the, the ball from the defensive side of the court for Houston, which is crucial because, obviously, when it comes to defense, they have to be able to close defensive possessions, and it starts with defensive rebounds. 
Yeah, and, and I expected him to be that guard to pick up the slack um, from the guards and rebounding. He has done that. And I, I think his offensive um, efficiency is just going to come. Um, he, he knocked down that early three, and he's been knocking down three. So I think his jumper is there, and teams know that he's a threat. It's just about making the shots that come his way and be more efficient. A couple of threes that he took was late in the shot clock, and so it wasn't um, he wasn't set, and it wasn't like – it was. I don't want to say it was a bad shot. It was a shot that he had to take because it was late in the shot. And so, I don't. I don't want to say I don't count those, but he definitely has shown that ability to knock down the three, and especially in the mid range, he can create for himself. He's a great playmaker. I think just his role on this team this year is focused on being a great defender and a rebounding and making the plays that he needs to make when the ball comes his way or when the opportunity presents itself. Coach Sampson has shown that he will isolate him at times depending on the matchup and let him attack and look to score. But his primary role with this team, when you got Marcus and Jamal, is not so much to be a scorer, just kind of be a um, a floor spacer, knock down open shots, and then in certain times he will show his ability to create for himself and others and to make shots. So, I mean, I think this was another g- good game for um, Tremont Mark. Like I told you, Andy, I'm not one of those people that look at the stat sheet and be like, oh, he didn't shoot efficiently or he, he didn't have X amount of points that is defined um, how he has a good game. And so um, I, I was impressed with his ability to um, have a good game without shooting well because – Nine times out of 10, well, 90% of the game, you don't have the ball in your hands. How are you going to impact the game when you don't have the ball? And he's doing that um, consistently, and he's been doing it consistently throughout the season. He's impacted winning, you know, and that's what Coach Sampson wants. The phrase of the season. Yeah. The phrase of the season. I want to touch on this comment. Or, Andy, you want to play the post game comments from Coach Sampson? What do you want to do right now? We're still waiting on it. Go ahead. Go go to the comment. But yeah, I want to post a comment from, from Rusty. The free throw, the technique on the free throws by some of the players is is ugly. Yes, they are practicing the free throws, and we've seen them time and time again in practice shoot free throws. But I want to say this to Rusty and, and the fans. No, hardly anybody, and I'm being serious when I say this, shoots free throws the same way. And I'm talking about player to player. So you can tell them, you know, bend your, bend your at the knees, bend the waist, get on your toes, all those things, follow through, all those different things. Guys get to a point, they shoot what's comfortable for them, okay? Coaches, they work on it in practice. We see it. They make them in practice. We've seen that too. <laughs> they make them in practice. The issue is whatever form you want to use, because Javier shoots different than Marcus. Marcus shoots different than Jermon, you know, on down the line. It's mental for most of them. Because if you make it in practice, however, whatever you do, you shoot left hand with your eyes closed, whatever, make it in practice. But come game time, they they get all in their heads. They're like, okay, should, should I hold the ball this way? You know, and they start missing. And then you want, all right, what did I do wrong on that one? And then you miss another one. Because trust me, we all know it's frustrating. They don't miss on purpose. They make them in practice because Coach Sampson said they shoot, what, 500 free throws a game of practice. And if they don't do it, then they run for everybody. But making them in practice is different than making them in games. And you see it, Dayon, you're here for practice. At the end of practice, after they're tired and all those things, what do they do? 
two free throws. Two free throws. Because they're tired. They want them to practice making free throws when you're tired. Because if you can make them when you're tired, then chances are you can make them in games. They do do it in practice. You're just not making them in games, and that that's where it is. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's a, a mental thing when you get to the free throw line. I think it's a routine thing. I hooped all my life, and I never got to the free throw line whether I was on the road or anywhere, and I was thinking in my head, oh, I need to do this differently. I think it's just more of a rhythm in basketball is to make a miss game. I think Coach Sampson said all the time, and Chris, you hinted at it, it's about who goes to the free throw line. Some players are just not good free throw shooters. I mean, they might make one to two, but, I mean, that's good for certain players. But what you got the likes of Marcus and Tremont and, like, your guards, you expect them to make free throws. Right. And, and they should make their free throws. Some of the bigs, is, it's a little harder for them. And so I don't think they're they're switching their technique or doing things different at the line on each time at the line. It's just about taking your time and, and making a shot. But it's easier said than done because it's, you can do – the same technique that you did in practice where you make them, you just miss them. And that's just part of the game. <laughs> you know, that's why I said uh, and I, it's important for Jarrett to be a good free throw shooter. Facts. That's who I was going to point out. That's who I was going to point out. That's probably yeah. the biggest um, question. Jarrett and the guards, if they're shooting free throws well, who's it fine? Yeah. But if Jarrett is struggling, Jay Juan has, expect, his free throw shooting too. Yeah, Juan has improved. We yeah. don't expect Reggie to make free throws. We would expect Jay to make free throws. Expect Reggie to go to the free throw line, though. Right. So, but he went twice tonight. He missed him. But that's what you know. His one trip. Alabama. He had two key free throws. You know. So, but we don't. We don't expect him to do it. When he does it, it's, it's cherry on top. But Jarris is the one. He's got to be a better free throw shooter. Yeah. On that note, as we begin to close it out, as Let's Rich Crew presented by the Sexinian. Family, we have the clip here's what Kelvin Sampson had to say to reporters in Dallas after the games, courtesy Houston, courtesy of Houston Athletics. All right, gentlemen, if you have a question, go ahead with for coach. So when you uh always talk about tough teams on the road, the way you guys responded uh, in an environment like this. Yeah, I mean um, we're really good for a long time. Uh, when we got twenty up twenty-three, thought we got a little tad selfish. Uh, shot selection, you know, let go to rope a little bit on uh, defense. But, um, you know, when you get to almost the month of March, the last thing I'm going to do is start slicing and dicing uh, road wins. I think that puts us at 7-0 and in the conference on the road, and I'm proud of that. Jamal's ability to control the game and make the right play is the play right before the half where he bleeds the time down gets a layup. Well, that was a called play. I mean, we called 30-second timeout to run that set. Um, but I put it in his hands because I thought he was playing harder than everybody else. You know, um, we had some guys that uh, um, just went on top of their A-game effort-wise tonight, and that's not acceptable. So, but that's my standards. You know, a lot of guys have different standards and stuff like that. But um, uh, Jamal is um, anytime the ball is in his hands, I always feel pretty good. What they can do on the boards, Kelvin, is that sort of also kind of the decision early? I guess you went with you had Reggie in there early. You had uh, JVA. You had Jared uh, Shawami. You sort of had a lot of movement there. 
Yeah, just keeping guys fresh. Nothing more than that. You know, we're, we got four guys that all contribute to uh, uh, winning, and, um, and we have four guards that contributed to uh, winning. Um, you know, just, just rotate them and keep them fresh. Coach, uh, situational threes were very big tonight, whether it was Sharp at the 11-minute mark, Sasser at the 8-minute mark. Every time they seemed to creep back in, your guys hit a big three. What does that say about your kids' resilience? Well, I think more importantly, our ball movement, because they were all came off assist. Uh, that's, that's, that should be the most important uh, observation there is, you know, we we got them in those middle uh, ball screens and we got them to help off the corner with the roller and we kept hitting the corner. And then when they took the corner away, we moved it right away to the slot and sometimes we moved it around to the other corner. So, um, ball movement. You know, we missed some wide open looks, but I thought our uh, ball movement gave us some good looks. Kevin, I know you don't get too high on wins or losses. Uh, this time of year, when you look at what's going on, you know, Alabama loses last night, Purdue loses again tonight. And you control your own team, but just it just kind of shows what college basketball mm -hmm. is. Is that sort of just, you know, no one expects to win them all, but you sort of want to play your best ball at this point of the season. Well, you'd like to win them all, but you know that's not feasible. That's not going to happen. Um, you're going you're gonna to lose games. Uh, it's not surprising anybody loses, you know, uh, including us. You know, we're... We're uh, capable of uh, uh, winning games, and um, we've got some great wins this year, you know, especially on the road. Um, but, you know, we control the things that we control. We don't talk about things that you guys talk about or fans. That never creeps into our conversations. You know, I've got enough stuff to watch, uh, things to critique about this game when I get on that bus pull into uh, Houston about three and a half hours. Um, you know, we'll have uh, <clears throat> tons of notes to work work out in the practice plan. I'm sure I'll watch our next uh, next game on the bus. Um, but other than that, uh, the other stuff's way, way overrated. How do you think you handled the, the trapping and, and the press? Is that something that, you know? Yeah, well, they, you know, usually against the trap, it's one pass. They're going to trap the first pass. Once the ball gets out of there, then get it up the court. You know, and I thought we did a good job of that. You mentioned good road wins. This hasn't been the easiest place for you all to play, and you've controlled it pretty well mm -hmm. almost throughout. And how, where does this one rank on the road wins this year? Uh, I'd say not in the top five. I'd say at Virginia, I think they were ranked number three in the nation when we beat them. At Oregon, I think they were picked to finish second in the Pac-12. Uh, at Tulane, they're in second place in the league. Uh, so we've had a lot of good road wins. Anything else? So once again, that was Houston Cougars head coach Kelvin Sampson. Real quickly before we get into the reactions, what a what a finish in Memphis. What a crazy ending. It looked like UCF was going to be able to pull it off, and the Tigers forced a turnover when really there was no shot clock. UCF could have technically let the clock run out. They turned it over instead. It led to a fast break layup for Memphis and then they, they took the one point lead and UCF couldn't convert on the other end. They were out of timeout. So the Tigers come away with the victory. I believe that's their 20th overall on the season and 20th victory on the season if I'm not mistaken in that. They're now they're 10 and 3 in the American Athletic Conference. Yeah, correct. So Memphis now 20 and 6 and they're 10 and 3 against American Athletic Conference opponents. So Big win by Memphis as they come into 
the Fertitta Center on Sunday, but gonna reading it back as we close it out. Comments from Kevin Sampson, what stood out to me was really the the confidence and trust that he has in Jamal Shedd. And even, of course, when they asked him about the full-court pressure from SMU, kind of similar things that we touched on earlier, but what stood out to, to both of you guys from Kevin Sampson right there post-game? His answer to uh, Chris Baldwin's question about the trap, he thought he handled it pretty well. You know, one pass and get it uh, get it at the court. Well, ideally, that's how you like to beat the, the uh, pressure, the traps. The Cougs didn't do that in the last minute or so. So, but coach is the coach, and he sees the game differently than we do. But what do you think, Dayon? Uh, about what he said about the trap or just his comments? His, his, his answer about the traps. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it was sarcasm. I was sensing a little sarcasm, and I don't think he wanted to get um, – into a descriptive mode about what he was seeing right there. That's, that's what I was seeing watching it. Um, I think he was being a little sarcastic there. I think so. But I think otherwise what stood out to me was he was kind of ripping, um, harping about the ball movement. I think the ball movement was good, yeah. and they did move the ball well. I think that led with Jamal. Um, him and Marcus, they both did a good job of, of this breaking down the defense, moving the ball, and attacking um, certain spots on the floor. So that was one thing that stood out to me. And also how he talked about where he ranked the road wins. He had Tulane up there at three. And you look, you just talked about Memphis's record. Two of their conference losses came to Tulane. So I, I, I just don't get it. All these people who think they're experts, well, I guess they just get paid to um, talk about bracketology, but there's no way they watch all of these teams play because if they did, they would have more respect for these teams with the talent that they have. Well, if you base it off of Kelvin Sampson, when they asked him about Joe Lenardi, I believe it was two weeks ago during his radio show, he said the next time Joe, Joe Lenardi is correct, it will be the first time that he's correct. But um, I, I agree. Those are interesting post-game comments overall, top to bottom. I think it's interesting that, that you mentioned uh, sarcasm from his response towards the full-court pressure. But that's going to do it for today's episode of Let's Rage Cougs. Obviously, we'd, we'd like, we do have, we'd like to get to more post-game content, but it came late, so we'll wrap it up uh well i'll go first if people can find me on twitter at aonis underscore five also be sure like we mentioned earlier in the show to visit the let's rage kooks shop at bonfire.com slash store slash let's rage kooks shop once again on bonfire.com it's bonfire.com slash store slash let's rage kooks shop for the official Let's Rage Cougs merch. And, of course, follow us on YouTube or subscribe to us on YouTube at Jamma on YouTube. We're still on the road to 1,000. And we'll be back Sunday evening following Houston and Memphis. That'll be a 2 p.m. tip-off from inside the Fertitta Center that will air on TV at on ESPN. But, Dan, I'll toss it over to you. Where can people find you and any final takeaways? You can find me like it shows on the screen at Dayon Dunlap on all social media platforms. Um, I appreciate being a part of such a great team with you guys, teaming up um, to bring this great content after every game since the football season. So appreciate everyone who's been sticking it out with us. And like Andy just mentioned, we do have the new merch. So check out the merch, tap in, make sure you shop with us, and um, uh, continue to support. Appreciate it. And I'm Chris Gardner of the Houston Round Bar Review. I enjoy being with these young guys. Uh, it, it's fun being with them. It's fun. It's fun and, and enjoyable doing Less Rage Cougs and getting the comments and questions and critiques from the fans. 
who are supporting us and, and watch what we're doing post game on these shows. It's a, it's, it's our pleasure to do these shows. And we're going to continue doing, doing them as long as the team is playing this season and upcoming seasons. But I'm at HoustonRombardView.com, Houston Review on YouTube, Houston Review on Instagram, Twitter, VHR Review. And we will see you guys after the game Sunday afternoon against Memphis. Tip time is 2 p.m. on ESPN. Andy, we're guessing at what, approximately 5 o'clock? 5, 5.30? 5, 5.15, 5.30 ish, around that time. I'm hoping Kendrick Davis plays, man. I'm hoping the boot was all precautionary just to keep it mobile and not allow him to put like, any extra pressure on it. So I, I wish the best for Kendrick Davis. I, I hope that he's played. I want Memphis to be whole. And and he's a H-Town kid, so right. I'm sure it's, his family yeah. you know, would like to see him play here. One final, so I, I hope he gets a chance to play. Yeah. That, that's going to do it. Once again, a final score from Dallas, the Houston Cougars, number two ranked Houston Cougars, victorious 80-65 to 65 on the road over SMU, and what very well could be the last time that they play SMU for the foreseeable future. As always, Dayon, you get the final word, sir. Go Cougs.